Welcome to the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. It's really good to be back sharing my love of plants and herbal medicine, Chinese medicine, just how to live in this crazy world. So I really appreciate all of you listening today. Um, I'm very excited about having my really, really great friend Willow Miley on the show. Willow is a grief companion, emerging end-of-life doula, hospice volunteer, and the co-founder of The Grief Well, a compassionate community initiative that works to support the grief experience through normalization and community building. Willow lives on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, with her family surrounded by the Pacific Ocean and cedar trees. Willow has this amazing mission. One of my favorite things about Willow is how she explains, um, you know, what her mission with this grief work is. And she's really here to normalize grief and death as normal, unavoidable experiences in life and to support the remembering of what it is to live with grief and death in our awareness all the time. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Willow Miley as we, uh, you know, move through what it is like to live with grief and um, and and live embracing grief. So um, without further ado, um, here's Willow. I'm so glad you joined us today. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. It's good to see your face. Um, can you just uh, tell everybody a little about yourself and how you got into um, your grief work? And then we'll kind of take the conversation from there. Yeah. So I, my name is Willow Miley and i um, I am the co-founder of a new organization called The Grief Well. Um, I'm also a hospice volunteer and uh, an emerging end-of-life doula. And I, unlike a lot of folks in my field, I didn't get here through um, the death of a loved one necessarily. For me, it was actually the birth of my daughter and the transition into motherhood that really um, blasted me wide open to um, grief and my acknowledgement of my grief experience throughout my life. Um, I've experienced many losses, not just death losses. And so after having my daughter, I went on this huge journey of really recognizing and acknowledging um, that I was carrying a lot of grief <laughs> without labeling it that and identifying it as that. Um, and so, yeah, that experience really launched me um, as a longtime student of yoga and teacher. And um, we were living in Boulder at the time and I went into a mindful grieving 
um, meditation and yoga based teacher training. And that sort of with the grief support network, um, which is based in Boulder. And that sort of launched me into these realms. And I had been dancing with um, becoming certified as an end of life doula before that, but the grief work sort of came first. And then I went on and got my education in end of life doula work and am now emerging into those realms. <laughs> That's how I got here. <laughs> and it's really, you know, what I love about the work that you do is, um, you know, normalizing the process of grief yeah. yeah, and not putting, you know, the, the steps of grief that we've all grown up hearing that you have these like stages of grief and yeah. they're supposed to be this linear thing and, you know, complete um, unrealistic way of looking at how we grieve as humans. Um, and so can you just talk a little bit more about um, just the motherhood piece a little bit? Like what were some of the things, if you feel like sharing, um, what were some of the things that you were grieving that maybe somebody who's not a mom or is a mom, but it's just like, what, what, why, why would you grieve some, why would you grieve something as beautiful as becoming a mother? Right. So really I, um, the why behind that is really, for me, the main piece was the loss of identity. You know, our, our culture here in the West does not prepare us for these massive trans, um, these massive transitions that we go through in our lives. And there's many, um, and we don't acknowledge them and there's no tools and we ignore them <laughs> and it builds up and it builds up. And so my transition into motherhood created a space for me where I really felt a huge loss of identity. I felt like I was on the mountaintop looking for this so-called village that I had heard about, you know, that saying, like, it takes a village to raise kids. Well, we don't have a village. <laughs> and I was really lost and alone. And at the same time that I was having my child, there was huge eruptions happening in my family of origin. And so, and that was also stirring this pot for me. And um, because of those eruptions, I was able to start really acknowledging my past and really acknowledging how I was raised and the experiences that I went through. Um, th so many things that I had really just pushed, pushed down due to survival and be facing being a mother myself and being a parent myself just brought everything to the surface. And so there was so, you know, in a culture, again, that teaches us that, you know, there's only one way to grieve and you got to do it really quick, really by yourself, hidden, and it has to be really tidy. And then you have to be over it because you just got to keep moving forward. You know, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know that, you know, grief is so vast. It's so individual. And yet. It is this thing that connects us all because as humans, if you love, you are going to grieve. And there are many losses that we face throughout our life, many non-death losses. And I believe that, you know, it's all worthy of grieving. It is all worthy of sitting with and being with and exploring what, what grief means to us individually. 
Um, but our culture tells us that that's not how you do it. <laughs> and so you mentioned the stages of grief and what so many people don't understand is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who, who wrote that book, that was about people who were dying. Those were the stages that she observed dying people going through. It was not stages that were observed that people went through with grief. And then like our culture loves to do, it co-opted those, grabbed on and was like, here's the linear handbook on how you do this. <laughs> and so it's really like, it's really kind of messed us all up, you know? Um, and so I really believe that grief is a pathway into remembering. And that's the thing, like we, in my work, it's not about me teaching anyone how to do something. It's about creating the space for us to remember. We already know how to do it. We already know how to grieve. It's going to look different for all of us and that's okay. And so the normalization piece is really, really big for me and my approach. Absolutely. Um, and I love that the normalization of it because um, it's every day. I mean, every day we're gonna grieve something and every day we're gonna be joyous about something. And so for us to just not look at it as if it's a mental health problem because people are actively grieving um, and more of a, hey, this is just a process of life. You know? well, yeah, I mean, again, our, our culture, our society here, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty down on it, honestly, <laughs> so I say, I say that a lot, you know, but it's, it's, we're not allowed to emote, we're not allowed to be sad, we have been packaged and sold this thing that like happiness is the thing to chase. And in order to chase happiness, you have to produce and and work super, super hard to have it. And it's unattainable. And if you're not attaining it, then something is wrong with you. And so because that's like what we're chasing in this culture, and it's so designed by capitalism and the patriarchy, and that's probably a whole other podcast that we could have. But it's, it's all by design. Keep us distracted, you know, keep us distracted, keep us working with our heads down, trying to achieve and, 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 you know, consume more because all these things are going to make us happy. And that's just not the truth. Sadness is a part of life and there's nothing wrong with it. And then we come in and we pathologize things like grief where of course, if you are, you've gone through loss and you're really struggling, I mean, and you want to seek professional support, therapy is amazing. You know, there's so many amazing tools that we have out there. And also, you know, again, it's a very individual situation. And I think that we have to be so careful because we painted this picture that something's wrong with you if you're sad. And the human experience is about being able to handle and hold joy and sadness, you know, grief and gratitude, like how, whatever words you want to choose, but we, um, we are capable of holding both at the same time. And it actually, when we can, I think that that's where we really get to experience the bittersweetness of life. You don't get to go through this life without loss. It just, it doesn't happen. <laughs> so the more and we be aware of that, I think the better it is for us, you know. 
Yeah, because it's it's like um, it sets up an unrealistic expectation, and so then when you are not, you know, in this like false happy state, yeah. um, I don't mean false, but you know, we all talked about the toxic positivity and all of that. So when you are in this like state, um, you know, then there's something wrong with you, or you're damaged, or you're injured, or something is, um, or you feel like you need to go get on medication because yeah. you're not living the life that you know um all of these people tell you you should be living so it's really just sets us up for failure to think that we are always supposed to be in this like happy grateful space um instead of you know calling life out for what it is right yeah life sucks sometimes it shit sometimes I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss oh you can cuss absolutely (laughs) it's fucked up sometimes (laughs) like we like the more we can lean into that you know and that sort of leads me into like my the other big piece for me that I've discovered in this journey with grief specifically is that we need each other and so The work that I do, whether I'm doing one-on-one grief companioning or facilitating a group dynamic, you know, it or group experience, my whole mission and everything behind that is that while I say that your grief is individual, we all have our individual experiences with it, where the thing that brings us together is when we can get in front of each other and listen to each other and witness each other's stories. And we end up seeing ourselves in each other. So I might be sitting in a circle of 12 people who are going through very different types of loss. And when they start to share their stories, while the details may be very different from my own, I see myself in each of these humans. And it gives me so much strength and courage to to live another day, to keep going because I'm not alone and I end up feeling so seen. And I think that that is another piece that's so important when it comes to grief is really acknowledging that we need each other in it. We can't do it alone. But again, we don't know how to ask for help. Our culture tells us we're weak. You know, we have no tools for that. And so what, you know, I'm also doing with the grief well is creating tools and resources and really trying to help people understand how do how do you communicate? How do you sit down with your best friend who just lost their husband? What do you say? And the thing that I think is really lost on us is that we think we have to show up and we have to say the perfect thing and we have to do the perfect thing. And we don't. You can sit there in front of your loved one who's going through loss and say, I don't know what to say right now, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. And that is a life changing moment for the person who's grieving because we it's that need. You just don't want to be alone and you want to know that you're not alone, you know. Absolutely. Um, And as someone who went through one of your. when you were with the uh, Grief Support Network and we yeah. did the Francis Weller book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, um, that was so powerful to be witnessed by all of these other, it just happened to be women, not that it was set up that way, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was great that it was. Um, and so, yeah, it was just so wonderful to be witnessed and to see that, yeah, like you said, I just really saw myself in every one of those women and really, um, to be 
heard and to even just be like held in silence. Um, Because I think you kind of, you know, mentioned that earlier of you don't have to say anything because so often people just over talk grief to fill that void, right? Instead of just um, listening and being. Except we're uncomfortable, right? Like silence, again, it's a cultural thing. Silence is bad. It's scary. It's like, we got to fill it, you know? Well, we live in an extremely noisy world. And so when I do facilitate group dynamics, I always make sure that we have some time for just silence, being together in silence because it is uncomfortable and it makes us all feel squirmy, but if you can relax into it and really lean into it, it's such a beautiful experience to just be quiet and be together, you know, and to understand and learn that we don't have to always have something to say, that it really is about our presence and how we show up, you know? Absolutely. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you do with the grief well? Yeah, I would love to. So um, I founded the Grief Well with a an end-of-life doula, um, amazing end-of-life <laughs> doula friend um, from uh, West Vancouver. And she, her name is Tracy Chambers. And she actually facilitates the end-of-life doula training course for Douglas College, which is one of the main ways that doulas can get trained in Canada. Um, And Tracy is the main facilitator of that course. And she's a seasoned doula, seasoned hospice volunteer, just an incredible person. Um, And so the Grief Well, we are doing a few different things with it. So it's a compassionate community initiative. And that just means that like we're building a compassionate community for people to show up and be seen and held and witnessed. And we do that through, we have an art initiative. So we invite folks to um, work through their grief by being creative. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a professional artist or anything like that. It's just, and, and what that, what the art can look like can really be anything. People send us poetry. They send us collages that they make, photographs they take. Um, pictures of cooking that they're doing. So it's really just any creative way that you've found to really support you in your grief. And we offer witnessing. So they send us their photos of what they've created and we put it on our website. We put it on our social media, obviously with permission. And some people just want us to witness it. And so we get stuff that just Tracy and I look at and take in, you know, and we write them back and thank them for sharing with us. Um, and then we've also um, printed out some cards um, with the art on it that you can buy on our website. And we created guidance for how to write a sympathy card. Like there's so many garbage sympathy cards out there in the world that like are meaningless and the word, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't communicate how you really feel <laughs> or how you really want to show up. Um, and so we created guidance for that. And, and along with that guidance for how to show up for your loved ones when they're going through loss. Um, and then we also just finished the framework and content for an eight week guided grief gatherings that we will start facilitating in the fall. Um, And they're designed to be facilitated virtually or also to gather in person outside. 
And um, the framework is really simple. It's based around story and the stories that we tell ourselves about grief and loss. And we take, um, we take the group just through a very loose eight week experience where we weave in poetry and different readings and contemplative time. And then of course, sharing and witnessing and silence. Um, and we offer a lot of tools around creative ways to express grief and also somatic ways. Um, and then we're in the works of creating a training uh, program to be for other people to be able to facilitate those eight week guided courses. Um, because we believe that you don't have to have special skills to support your community when it comes to grief. You really don't. Um, and so we wanted to make this information available so that if someone comes through and does the eight week course and is like, I wanna bring this to my community, that they can do that. Um, and then the website has, you know, we have a resource page for resources that we've found that we love books, podcasts, other organizations. Um, and I think that the intention really is to just like continue to build the community there and continue to add resources and we're open to collaboration and yeah that's that's what's up with the grief well <laughs> that's great so when you guys do gather in person um it'll be vancouver more than likely because you're in victoria and she's well, in I'm vancouver in, yeah so we like i would lead groups here in victoria she would lead them there um on the west shore you know so um just kind of split up and do our own thing in our own communities and then um the training that we're creating will be online so that people can access it from wherever they are um and the hope is that the the resource of the eight-week gathering spreads you know across canada the u.s you know that people can access it and bring it out into their own communities so that's great because yes we all are um actively grieving all sorts of things right now as yeah. as a world <laughs> yeah the collective collective grief is is real you know and it's it's important that we tap into it and we allow ourselves to feel it that we acknowledge too when we're feeling burnt out and um and really find ways to resource ourselves and community engagement and and people we can safe spaces we can lean in on and and feel seen and heard great yes yeah. thank you so much for all that <laughs> <laughs> um so we are an herbal podcast as you know um so let's talk a little bit about plants and um i know that you are a um a lover of, of all things herbal. And so, um, you know, just from your perspective, what have you noticed either with your own grief or when you are working with others, um, what kind of plants are you drawn towards when you work? And then in what um, modalities, like are you burning plants? Are, we, are you just having them like do aromatherapy, um, taking the herbs internally? So um, with grief, support i and tracy also we both are really connected with the idea that nature can hold us and so you know with this uh eight week gathering we just created we really want of course everything's online right now and that's so beautiful for like access out into the world but like we really want to encourage 
folks who come through and train to be able to facilitate to take these groups outside and into the community and be outside. Um, in my personal world, you know, I, I see a therapist and we conduct our sessions outside. Um, she does nature-based therapy. And from that experience that I've had over this last year, it's incredible. Like the, when you allow yourself the space to really recognize what's going on in nature around you and that nature really can hold you, um, I think it's, it's a really life-changing experience. And I know that we all don't have access to big nature like I do here on Vancouver Island. <laughs> um, but even like if you're in an urban setting, getting really familiar with your parks and with the, the nature that you can access, taking walks and looking at people's gardens, like just going outside and looking, I think can be such a support. I know it sounds so simple, um, but looking at flowers this time of year, smelling things, noticing the birds, like I really feel like during particularly hard times, that is such a medicine um, that is readily available. You don't have to pay for it. There's nothing to do. It's just going outside and getting as present as you can and just like trusting and, and being open and curious to, to what the world around you really. Um, and then for myself, I, you know, the main plants that I lean into, I would say are rose, lemon balm, spearmint, horsetail. Those are like readily around me and available. And I drink those a lot in tea. Um, I, as you know, I love essential oils, um, but more so lately just for smelling, like I'm not necessarily like using them on myself as much as I'm engaging with the senses and allowing myself to smell and take in that way and just really be held by those scents. There's certain scents that comfort, there's certain scents that activate and just like exploring, you know, what that is for me. Um, and in grief, there's scents that can be really activating. You could, you know, for some people, you know, I love the smell of rose and, and some people that reminds them of their grandmother or lilac because, you know, a loved one wore that scent or washed the sheets with that scent. So, um, also remembering that, you know, you can get activated, but that's okay, you know, and it's okay to be in an activation and to have a memory and to allow yourself to feel whatever comes up in that moment and trust that you're held, you know. Um, and then because I live in a place with so many trees, I definitely lean in <laughs> to the forest a lot and go sit with trees. I have a few trees um, in on the mountain here in my neighborhood that I go and sit with actively. The cedar trees here um, do a lot for me and feel really strong and like they can hold me and all that I bring to them. Um, so yeah, those are sort of my, my main things. Um, I do do a little bit of smudging. Um, and you know try to be culturally appropriate with that so i smudge plants that um, i grow in my garden here 
um, things like lavender, um, garden sage, um, and you know, I'll I'll use smudging when I want to sort of like clear out my energy, or maybe I'm I'm going through a particularly heavy moment, but then I have to like go pick my daughter up from school, and so smudging I think is something that's really beautiful to just sort of like get it gives me that instantaneous like shift in feeling and energy so that I can like go about my day because the thing about grief is that you never know when it's gonna <laughs> come in and tap you on the shoulder and say hey I need you to pay attention to me right now <laughs> and it's not always convenient <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah but we don't need life to always be convenient you know no no not at all <laughs> it's not that's it's thing. not supposed to be right yeah. or something yeah it's not <laughs> yeah so I don't so with like what I recommend to clients I'm obviously careful about that you know but I tease and stuff is really kind of where I go because that's an easy you know no harm is really going to be done in recommending like hey try drinking a cup of spearmint tea in the evening, or, you know, I found myself the last couple of years adding rose petals to like every tea blend that I make and drink because it's just that extra comfort for me, you know, and I know that rose soothes my heart. So, um, oh, and Hawthorne, when I've been in some particularly like very like heartbreaking, heartbroken moments, I feel like Hawthorne, which I have as a tincture, um, I take that because I really feel like Hawthorne is that like heart soother um, that really just supports uh, the muscle like specifically, but also just knowing how, how much Hawthorne loves the heart. It just feels extra comforting for me. Yes. For me too. Hawthorne is one of those. Yeah. And you know, that great matters of the heart formula of Rose and Hawthorne. And yeah. then you can, yeah, you could add lemon balm or, um, Yes. You know, cinnamon and a cardamom, whatever. And it's yes. such like a great base for the heart. Totally. And I have had, uh, speaking of Lauren <laughs> and her tinctures, I have had Lauren make me um, some flower essences specifically for grief. And that is has been a tool that I love to lean into as well. Um, and, and will, you know, have said to clients, Hey, I have this herbalist in my life who can do this. And if this is something you're interested in, you know, I sort of like connect the two, um, since I'm not technically an herbalist, <laughs> not you know, we're herbalist. all herbalists, right? <laughs> my dog's an herbalist. He like, I see him like eating all sorts of plants that he needs, you know? Totally. <laughs> um, even though I think he was eating poison sumac the other day and I was like, hmm, what is this doing for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like too, as I, cause I am an emerging end of life doula, I do feel like, um, the plant allies are really going to step in, in that part of my work as well. Once I emerge and I'm really working with clients on more of a full-time basis. Um, and so I've been studying more about, you know, plants and, and good applications for, for end of life. Um, but of course, you know, after someone dies, you know, 
um, anointing the body, if that's an experience that uh, loved ones in a family and the client wants, you know, that is a beautiful process where using uh, essential essences comes into play and, you know, having for clients who are dying at home, having lots of plants around and, and flowers and just beauty, you know, always giving that as an option to my clients as well, because I think it's important. And for those that don't know what an end of life doula yes. is, <laughs> can you explain that to us? Yes. <laughs> uh, an end of life doula is a support, a non-medical support person. So non-clinical. I do not, I kind of start with what I don't do. <laughs> um, I don't um, work with medication. I'm not a part of the clinical team. If someone is doing, is you know, let's say having hospice support at the end of their life. I'm really just there to support spiritually and emotionally. And my, um, and that is a very, like, that can look many different ways, depending on who the end of life doula is. Um, for me personally, I, um, I see myself as if my client has loved ones around you know, really empowering the loved ones to do all of the tasks that I am trained to do and can do, but just really, and, and, and I say that because I really want to work to give folks the experience at the end of life of really being able to tend and care for each other. We know how to do this. It was not very long ago that we were <laughs> midwifing our babies and midwifing our elders out, you know? <laughs> and so, and it was the Western medical establishment that came in and sort of separated us from all of that. And so we already know how to do these things. And so my work is really around um, inspiring and supporting us remembering and offering up those tools. And so, and then another piece is uh, showing up and relieving caregivers. So if there are family members who are tending to the dying, coming in and being able to give them breaks and respite, because it's, it's a lot, it's a huge um, bag to carry and, and also facilitating, you know, conversations and facilitating relationships and just really tending to whatever the dying needs. And then I also have another piece and a lot of end of life doulas, depending on where you live, do this or don't do this, but I do end of life planning. So helping people create their advanced care plans, you know, planning their funerals, planning their memorials, planning what they want done with their bodies after they die. Where do they wanna die? All of these, um, plans that we can make that really alleviate pressure and stress at the end of life. And so a big piece of my work I see is around education and educating people around what it is to remember to, to live with death. You know, again, this culture, we're death denying, right? Like we're doing everything we can to stay and look young and to live until we're 150, which is like, why are we doing this? Um, and so I see a lot of the role of an end of life doula for myself is to help educate people as to why it's important to plan our deaths 
that is not a morbid, depressing thing to do that. And that it's actually one of the biggest gifts that you can leave your loved ones. Um, legacy making and legacy planning, there's all these pieces. And so I really see uh, doulas as these facilitators of really important, hard conversations and plan making um, and visioning around, you know, what kind of life are you living? What kind of life do you want to continue to live? And how is it that you want to die? And, you know, we don't really get a choice. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know how we're going to die, but there's nothing wrong with thinking about it. And it's hard. It's hard work and it's sacred. I'm actually going through the process right now myself where I'm doing advanced care planning and, it's really intense, but it's so worth it, you know, to have all of that laid out and to really think about, you know, what do I want to happen at the end of my life and how can I relieve my loved ones um, from the burdens of having to like figure it out because we never talked about it before, you know? Yes. And I, I don't know if it's because I'm my age and I'm like going in for my mammogram or whatever, but now every, the last couple of times I've gone to the doctor, they've asked me if I've had an advanced directive and I'm yeah. like, I'm going in for a mammogram. I, it's just one of those things I've never been asked. And yeah. the last two times they asked me and I was like, I don't. And yeah. you know, I will soon. Um, once we'd work on that together. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so it's really like never too early. You don't need to be sick. You don't need no. to be old. And you don't need to be anything. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't wait. Like that's the thing. Like yeah. those of us who get terminal diagnosis, you know, we sort of, um, that's sort of its own thing because when you do get a terminal diagnosis, you know, then you're sort of like, okay, this is pretty imminent. You know, you still don't necessarily have that exact timeline depending on what's going on and how sick you might be and whatever that is. But that that is a time, sure, where it's really in your face if you haven't done that and where the medical establishment will also pressure you for the directives because you are in this space, you know, of this diagnosis. But for those of us who aren't going through that, I mean, it's so important to really to think about these things. You know, it's, you hear someone say, well, I want to be cremated. So that's it. That's all you need to know. Well, if you say you want to be cremated, there's about a hundred questions that go and decisions that have to be made that go with just that statement of, I want to be cremated, <laughs> you know? And so I know it sounds crazy, but making these plans, you know, if there's, if you know that you want to be buried in a certain place, in a certain cemetery and whatever, going ahead and paying for that, if you are able, like all of these steps that you can take so that what your community and your loved ones get to do is just grieve you, you know, because there's a huge disconnect when we don't make these plans and then a loved one dies and then their family or community are grieving them. But then they also have to go sit down and talk to a funeral director and make a million decisions and they're deep in grief, shock. You know, there's so, and it's not an appropriate time to be having to go through all of that. And the reason why we don't make these decisions earlier on is because we are denying a death denying culture 
So if, you know, it's like, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. But there's nothing wrong with thinking about our deaths. And in fact, death is happening all around us every day, right in front of our faces, you know? Um, And I think that there's a freedom that you start to experience when you do start to live in relationship with the impermanence that is really going on, you know, in this experience of being human. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you almost have like more of a reverence for life and an inspiration in life when, you know, you can embrace the, you know, death, transition, loss, whatever it is. Yeah, I was just, you know, I am now spending time on the hospice unit here every week. And, you know, I have friends who are like, how do you do that? Like, is it so, are you just so like sad and somber after? And I, I walk out of that building every week feeling more alive and more in love with life and more in service to life and all of those around me and just inspired because death is not, it's not as scary as we think it is. And I just think that there's so much value in like getting in right relationship with it. And which really means in this culture, just acknowledging it, <laughs> just acknowledging it. That's like the first step. <laughs> And if you stay in that step for a decade, it's fine. It's like, okay. just <laughs> it's totally fine. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I have fears around death and I have stuff I continue to work out every day, you know, and fears around certain loved ones when they die, what that's going to look like. I mean, it's so human, but I think that really being in relationship with death and living with death is, is so important. Yeah. Um, it really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, just a couple more thoughts here as if somebody is, you know, I don't want to say actively grieving, but you know, if someone's going through something and they feel like they could use a little support, do you have any references or, you know, we know like nature and the plants we've talked about, but are there any, um, things that you've found that have helped you, whether it be books or poetry or, um, yeah. Music, whatever it is. Yeah, all Movement. of those all of those things. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's such an individual experience. You know, I meet people who like they they're going through a loss and they want to read like every book about that specific kind of loss and that specific experience. I'm like that. You know, I'm a I'm a voracious reader, you know that. And so um, but for other people, like handing them a book, they're they're like, yeah, I could only read one page. You know what I mean? So it's like, totally. or listening. Some people want to listen to podcasts. Some people want to, you know, so I say all of the above. And that just, that when, but remembering that when you engage with things, whether it's reading or um, listening to stories, you know, I love memoirs of people who have been through loss, because again, it's that experience of feeling seen of, of reading or listening to someone else's story and seeing myself in it. And that really helps me. Um, movement is a huge thing, you know, any type of movement, I'm all for just taking walks, you know, the simplest things and just really learning how to tune in to yourself 
um, and listen to your body and listen to what your needs are, which is hard because again, we aren't taught that we are distracting ourselves from ourselves all the time. And so finding ways to find presence and asking for help and reaching out to folks that you can trust and folks that you can lean into. Um, you know, the Grief Well website has tons, you know, has a resource page with different resources. You know, I, I have to mention the Grief Support Network because their services are free. They are, you know, by donation if you have it. If you don't, don't worry about it. And they have so many more offerings besides um, the original yoga therapy experiences. So they're doing book reviews and they have a drop-in weekly um, community grief circle. Um, and so I, you know, I love that organization. It's near and dear to my heart. And the fact that their services are offered out for free, I think is really important because not everybody has those kinds of services in their communities. And so the fact that you can access it with a computer is great. Um, but yeah, I just think doing things that help you touch in with yourself, um, give you space and, and really feel good. And if something doesn't feel good, don't keep doing it. <laughs> you know, if you're reading a book and it's too intense and you're feeling yourself getting stressed, put it down and know that it's okay. You know, um, grief is not something it's not, it's not, there's no healing destination with grief. It's a journey and it's going to change throughout your experience. You're going to think, wow, I haven't been sad about that loss in years. And then something is going to activate you and there you are. And it feels like it was just yesterday that you lost that person or that experience or whatever it was. and just being willing to ride the wave and being willing to be open and curious enough to really know that it's okay. And there's no, there's no way this is supposed to look or way that this is supposed to be done. Um, and finding community, because I really think that community is really important. So, <laughs> Yeah, it really is. That's, we were, you know, we were bred for community, for some form of communal living that we have lost in our, in our crazy culture. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, you know, anything you want to leave the listeners with? Um, we've talked about so much, you know, so many great things already, but is there yeah. anything else you'd like to share? Well, yeah, I did want to speak because we had on our list to touch in about rituals. I know we talked about yes. plants and nature. Um, and I just did want to talk about ritual <laughs> really briefly. Absolutely. A good resource for that. Um, and I want to remind listeners that, you know, ritual really is just action with intention. You know, I think, again, we get really, we can get really in our heads around ritual and ceremony and that it's supposed to look a certain way and be a certain way. 
And it's really not. And we all have lots of different experiences with it too. You know, whether you're coming from like a deeply religious background, you have your own version of what ritual and ceremony looks like, you know, whether you're super rooted in nature, like we all have these different experiences around ritual. Um, and we're probably doing things every day that we wouldn't even consider ritual. But then when you start to really look at it and you put your intention there, like, oh, I mean, this moment of washing the morning dishes can be a ritual if I bring my presence and my attention to it. Um, and so I think that using ritual and ceremony to acknowledge these big transitional moments throughout our lives is a really, really great tool um, because our culture in the West here is lacking in that. Um, and, the, and, you know, rituals, like I said, washing of the dishes, taking three breaths, you know, one breath to acknowledge the past, one to acknowledge the present, one to acknowledge the future, um, and putting your own spin on that. Um, another thing that I love to do, like when I'm, cause I live by the ocean. So I'll be walking on the beach and I'll pick up a rock and I'll, you know, just say into the rock, like all the heavy shit that I'm carrying in that moment. And I speak it into the rock and then I throw it into the ocean. And just that like moment of allowing myself to speak it and release it, you know, can free me up for days, you know, from the weight that I'm carrying. Um, and I have a resource to share and we can put it also in the show notes, but um, a colleague and, and new friend in my life, her name is Megan Sheldon. She's a ceremonialist and end of life doula um, in North Vancouver. She and her husband created an app called Be Ceremonial and it's a free app. Um, and it's filled with ceremony and ritual making. And so they have all kinds of ceremonies that they've curated that you can access and, and do. But then they also have sort of a choose your own adventure. So they, they offer up a bunch of different rituals. And then you can build your own ceremony. Um, and then go and practice that ceremony by yourself, with your family, with your community, whatever it is. Um, and they're creating an amazing community within their app. And they offer up free um, ritual and ceremony making uh, monthly talks. And they do um, some local community building, Megan Lee's. Uh, cold plunges, weekly cold plunges in North Vancouver, which is amazing. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful tool. And I use it. I use it for my end of life doula work. I use it for myself. I use it for my friends and family. Um, it, is, it is well worth it. So I wanted to like highlight them because for those of us who find ritual and ceremony confusing, but are also really interested. I think that they've done a really good job of creating secular experiences for folks to start to dip their toes and sort of play around with it. And we all love apps, right? Because we love our phones. <laughs> do we? Yeah, we, I mean, I we don't, do. but I'm speaking in sort of the royal way. <laughs> um, that's great. So really you have the like be ceremonial app and yeah. then you know, um, separately, but then there's the grief 
support network. So two different, like no cost ways to try to, yeah. to, to find community, which is yeah. really great. Yeah. And with the app, with the B ceremonial app, you can pay 10 bucks a month. And I think get like different access, like, um, saving, being able to save ceremonies and rituals, but there are, there is a lot of content that's just for free as well. So, um, it's definitely worth, worth exploring. Cause I think that, Ritual and ceremony are really beautiful ways to support the grief process and experience. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for uh, make, keeping me on my notes. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> like, oh, notes? <laughs> Hello. We didn't go over that. Um, well, I'm really glad that you spent this hour with us, Willow. It really means a lot. And I, the world needs it. Like, I know you really are very community-based in your hospice work and your, you know, your local community. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing all of these with everyone else. Can you give us the website and the Instagram handle for the, the Grief Well? Yeah. So the Grief Well is at the Grief Well Village on Instagram and the website is www.thegriefwell.ca. <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> and then I have, um, my website is in, it's, it's there right now. It's just sort of my about page because I'm working on all my offerings for um, end of life doula services, but it's just my full name, willowannmiley.com. Um, and I may or may not have Instagram <laughs> for end of she, life. She won't. <laughs> you know that I'm always on the fence. <laughs> I have a I have a hard relationship with social media. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I do too. It's it's a um, I love the connection when I do get to see people doing beautiful things, but yeah. then I don't actually want to post or do yeah. things with it. You know, yeah. like, I think I'm supposed to post about this. Yeah, the know. rebel, the rebellious part of me, what, like, likes not <laughs> being on there um, because it does feel like a rebellious act, actually, in this society. Yes. <laughs> um but there, but again, it's like, it's not all bad. There's a lot of beautiful community making and amazing people doing amazing things. And so it is good. And I do check the Greek well um, account. So if anyone wants to DM me or anything, I'm there. <laughs> awesome, Willow. Well, thank you again. It was so good to talk to you. Good to talk to you or too. actually talk with you and see you <laughs> and see you. I know it's yeah. a treat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the herb walk with jessica baker you can find out more about the work i do on my website bakerbotanica.com through jessicabaker.blog my youtube channel 
Jessica Baker Herbalist. And you can um, also purchase my five element essential oil uh, line through my website, bakerbotanica.com. Thanks for listening. Have an amazing day. Mm-hmm.